We're in our series called Afterglow. And what an afterglow is, is an afterglow is a glow that remains even after a light is gone. So listen to what we've been doing. We've been pulling up a chair inside of a closed room and listening in to Jesus's last words, his very last words to his disciples the night before he's arrested. And last week we saw the end of his great farewell sermon, his great last words to his disciples. And it was amazing the words that he spoke in this week today. He starts his great prayer to these disciples of his. And it is a prayer, listen to this guys, it is a prayer that was not just meant for that moment, but it is a prayer that right now in this moment where you are sitting, it is penetrating deep into your soul now. His prayer then was not just for his disciples, but it was also for you, always for you. And this prayer is his great and this is happening in churches all throughout the world. So his great prayer is filled with this great passion, this great deep want of God while he is here. What is this great passion that he has? Here's what it is. His great passion is for you to be fully alive now. To experience life that you were meant to live now. So here's how I want you to think about this. Um, and this is not scientific. This is maybe the science of David. But here's how I want you to think about this. Le so we're going to have different levels of living. Level five living is where God wants us to be. Okay, so level one living is like a plant. Okay, level two living is like an insect. Level three living is an animal. So if you're a dog, you're like level five living. If you're a cat, you're probably like 2.5. Uh, and then, sorry for cat lovers here. Um, and level four living is living like a human. And what Jesus is getting at today is he wants us to be living at this level five way of living. That starts not later, but starts right now. And here's what it is. It's eternity that's beginning to inhabit the temporary right now. It's about taking that first breath of eternal life now. So what's this difference between level four living and level five living? Here's how C.S. Lewis describes it. It's, he doesn't use this language, but I think it's a perfect picture of what it means to move from level four to level five. Here's what he says. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with food and drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday, holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. If you think that Christianity is boring, you have misunderstood it. 
this is all about. These deep wants and desires that we have that lead us straight past the pleasures that we find in this world and straight into the pleasures of this eternal bliss that we are meant to have with God. And it's not something that is meant for our future only, but it's something that is beginning to inhabit right now, deeply penetrating our souls. I'm just pleading with you today, just open up your mind and your heart to the possibility that God wants so much more for you, and it's all found in Him. We are far too easily pleased. Let's just, oh man, come on. If we could just leave the slums and the mud pies and go to this holiday at the sea that's being offered to us. Follow him to the ocean. All right, so here's Jesus. He's starting his prayer now. Okay, here's what he says. John 17, verses one through five. When Jesus had spoken these words, so he finishes his sermon, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Right now, just set your imagination. I just want to set your imagination upon eternity. And if you're like me, you struggle to imagine what eternity could be like. And you even have doubts that keep creeping in that eternal life is too good to be true. difficult seeing into eternity, right? But can we do it? And the answer is here, yes, by faith. So sometimes people will say, David, can you prove to me that there is eternal life? And I say, you don't want me to prove to you that there's eternal life because the only way to know that there's eternal life is to be buried six feet under the earth. So you do not want me to prove that to you. This is a faith position. I can't prove a promise. You can, pr- you can believe in a promise or disbelieve in a promise. Now, you could base the quality of someone's promises by whether they keep them over and over again or not, but you only believe or disbelieve in a promise. And what I'm saying here is that you cannot prove that there is an eternal life, and, and you cannot disprove that there is an eternal life. Both are faith positions. Neither can be proven or not proven. But what I will say is this. There is some evidence, lots of evidence, that life is meant to be lived such a higher level than we are living it right now. And here is the first, just, I'll just tell you this today. The evidence, there is eternal life, rests in your discontentment and your dissatisfaction with life in this world. You want so much more because you are meant for so much more. If you will just allow your wants 
to guide you to the ocean of God's eternal bliss. I mean, stop settling for these mud pies in the slums because you are meant for so much more to the ocean where God is. And these, these longings, you've got to make a faith decision about it. Either way, you've got to make a faith decision. So, so we think about it like this. There's a train that's headed to the ocean of God's infinite eternal bliss. And a faith move, so Jesus is the train or Jesus is on the train and the faith move is to board that train. So today I'm saying, let's all get on board. Let's all jump in and believe. And eternal life is not just about a quantity of time. Eternal life is about a quality of time that only gets better and better and better, an increasing quality forever. Don't let your image be of eternal life that you are just floating around on in the clouds like this weird thing happening. That is not what eternal life is about. Eternal life is to be ravished in ecstasy. It's to be raptured up in intoxicating joy. It is to sail the oceans of paradise and it is to be elated in euphoria. And it is a dream that seems too good to be true, but it turns out that it is true. And it just keeps on getting infinitely better and better and better all of eternity. And that isn't only your future, but when you board this train, here's what you find. The aromas of paradise have found their way onto the train now. You can smell eternity. Something is different in the air. Everything seems a bit lighter. You board this train and you've got all these burdens, but it seems like these burdens are being lifted because they're being carried by someone who's on the train with you. Jesus is who I'm talking about. It's as if all of the pleasures of eternity Particles of these pleasures have found their way onto this train. And we're not experiencing these pleasures fully, but part of them are being experienced now. They've snuck past the slums. They've snuck past pain. They've, they've, they've snuck past sin. They've snuck past suffering. And they have found, your way imbe- found their way embedded into your soul right now. Eternal life already begins in Christ. I mean, it's all in him. The pleasures are in him. Have you heard, I, have, if, you have, would have, if you have read the great preachers of old, I mean, these great movement leaders of Christianity and hear the way that they talk about Jesus, it's like he is their infinite joy right now that they're experiencing in him. They agree with what King David said in the Psalms, that God is better than life. So, Why then, if you're a Christian, why does your life feel so blah? It's the theological word for the day, blah. So why does your life feel so blah? (laughs) Here's why. Because we keep getting off of this train. 
This train's here. We keep getting off the train. Remember, life on the train is a life of faith. And whenever our faith weakens, what we do in a sense is we get off of the train. And when we get off of the train, all of the pleasures of eternity slip through our fingers the same way water slips through your hands when you try to grab it. Now, you need to hear this because every illustration has its weaknesses. So here's what you need to hear. Eternal life, you are not brought into eternity based off of your eternal, you being brought into eternity is not measured by the quality of your faith, but by the quality of the person that you have faith in. You being brought into eternal life is not based off of the quality of your faith, but the quality of the person that you have faith in. If you have boarded that train, you said, yes, I believe this is true. I believe Jesus. I believe he was my rescuer. I believe this is true. He's not letting you go. He's bringing you to this ocean of paradise. But with that being said, the quality that you are actually able to experience the eternal pleasures now has a correlation to the quality of your faith now. In other words, the greater your faith is, the more you experience these eternal pleasures now. And I'm not talking about external circumstances here. I'm not talking about, oh, if you go to, go to Jesus, he's going to give you more money. What I'm talking about here is deep in your soul, you experience, it's been penetrating your soul, this love, joy, peace, rest, satisfaction. They begin to enter into your very being. I'm going to give you another C.S. Lewis quote. Faith is the art of holding on to things that your reason once accepted despite your changing moods. Faith is the art of holding on to things that your reason once accepted despite your changing moods. So when your mood changes, he's talking about, but your faith should stay constant. But how often are we measuring how we feel about God, how we feel about Christ on our current mood? And so what do we do? We get off of the train. So, here, I mean, here, if you're like me, here's what happens. You, you, your mood changes, and then it feels like these pleasures of eternity have slipped through your fingers. And then what do you do? Oh, this is a bummer and your faith weakens, and then you just kind of step off of the train. And then what happens is even more, all of these pleasures are slipping through your fingers. And now this is downward spiral has begun where you are experiencing the eternal pleasures of God now, but now they seem to be lost. But if you will stay on that train, despite your changing moods, if you will stay on that train then what you will find is enduring your changing mood on the other side of it. When your mood turns again, you will have actually formed greater faith in you or God has formed it in you. And you'll experience these eternal pleasures even more now, having gone through it. You just got to strive to believe more. All right, so then how do we do that? How do we strive to believe more? This level five way of living, I mean, this is just a creative way of saying this, but we want to have this level five way of living now. So how do we get there? 
here's the answer. Because I'm assuming that I've really sold level five way of living at this point, and you all want to be there, so how do you get there? Here's how. You have to be enveloped in God's glory. The same way an envelope, a letter, you take a letter, you put it in an envelope, and you seal it shut. We have to be sealed shut into God's glory. Eternal life, so what it says, what is eternal life? It says in our verses, eternal life is to know God. And to know God is to be enveloped in his glory. You can't know him and not know his glory. They go together to meet the God of creation, to meet the God of life is to be enveloped in his glory. Eternal life equals being enveloped in his glory. To seek eternal life, but to not seek his glory cannot be done. You'll, eternal life will sift through your fingers. Perhaps what we want is eternal life without the eternal glory of God. But that will not be eternal life. You're back in the mud pies again. You're back in the slums again. Let me explain it like this. We are chasing after, this is level four living. We are chasing after glory in something that is not God. That is level four living. Something less than God. Maybe it's the glory of ourselves. Maybe it's an achievement. Maybe it's in comfort. Whatever it is, it's always going to lead to the slums. The Bi- Here's what the Bible is doing. The Bible starts pleading with you, saying, listen, you've got to know this. You've got to know this. That whatever you chase after, whatever you see as most glorious in the end, that is what you are left with. That's all you've got. Whatever is most glorious, that is what you are left with in the end. And if that glory isn't eternal, then you are left without eternal life. Because eternal life can only be found in that which is eternal and glorious. Anything you chase after that is less than God will not get you what you really want. And if you want to seek your greatest good, seek the glory of God above all things. If you want your kids to have the greatest good, point them to the glory of God over and over and over again. Parents, your main job is to point to the great glory of God. Yeah, you should give them food and you should give them water. Those are good things for them to have. But also tell them, Jesus, who says about himself, if you come to me, you will have living waters welling up in you like a wellspring, and they will overflow into eternal life. Jesus says, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. Oh, we're, we're chasing after far lesser glories than God. So the glory of success, the glory of fame, the glory of money, the glory of family, the glory of friendship, the glory of sex, the glory of good grades, the glory of a job, the glory of a nice little life in St. Lucie County, it all falls short. 
Some of you say, oh, yeah, I know, of course, Port St. Lucie falls short of the glory of God, but if you love yourself, if you love your kids, if you love people around you, the greatest thing you can do for them in demonstrating that love is point them to the glory of God. And once his glory has enveloped you and engloried the people that you love, then eternal love, joy, peace, satisfaction, happiness begins to flood in now. Okay, so look, 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 look. You can look at these verses, and here's what you could say. You could say, man, Jesus sounds like he is obsessed with his glory. He is asking the Father to glorify his name. He wants his name to be glorified. I don't know if I want to follow a man who is so obsessed about his glory. And I say, of course you don't want to follow a man who is obsessed with his glory, but this is no man. This is God. And if this is true, which Christianity keeps saying over and over, that Jesus is God, and the glory of God will give you the greatest good, then you want to seek after him. Look, 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 look. It is out of love for you, out of love for your loved ones, that he is praying for his glory. Why do I say that? Do you know why I say that? Because there's something that we keep missing over and over and over again. God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, trying God, if we are enveloped in their glory, then that's the best good that we can ask for. So listen, listen, listen. When Jesus prays for his glory, he is simultaneously praying for your good. When Jesus is so passionate about his own glory, it's because he is passionate about your good. It's the most loving thing he can do to pray that prayer right there. God, glorify my name. That is such a loving prayer for you because it's the best thing for you to discover his glory. Look, he doesn't need us to see his glory. He's not like, oh, if they could just see my glory, I'll finally be happy. He is content in himself. He is a triune, glorious God. There's nothing that he needs from us. He has everything he needs. Here's what he wants. He just wants you. And he wants your good. He loves you so much and he just wants you to stop chasing after these lesser glories over and over. You know, um, you know that bumper sticker that says coexist on it? Now what that bumper sticker is trying to convince us of and if any of you guys have that bumper sticker on right now, I mean no offense to this, but listen, what that bumper sticker is trying to convince us of is that there are that every every religion leads to the same God and to the same place. That simply isn't true. I mean, have you read what other religions are saying about their God? There, that pales in comparison to what Christianity says about the Christian God. I'm just telling you what the, the books are saying about the God that they're worshiping. No other God gives you what the triune God gives you. They're like dead idols that fall on their faces before the triune God, bowing to his glory. And here's what I want you to hear. All other 
gods enslave you to level four living. And these, these lesser glories, look, look, these lesser glories are not just these so-called gods. They could be anything. Anytime, anytime we lie, anytime, anytime we're chasing after a lesser glory than God. Anytime we lust, we're chasing after a lesser glory. Anytime we are jealous, we are chasing a lesser glory. Anytime we gossip, we're chasing after a lesser glory. We always obey what we think is most glorious. Watch this. You lie because you are obeying something that you think is more glorious than God. And so let's just say success is the greatest glory for you, and you're chasing it and chasing it and chasing it. And then you come to a situation, you got to make a decision. Okay, if I lie, I can be more successful in this situation. But if I don't lie, I will not be more successful. Well, if the most glorious thing to you is success, then you will lie because you are obeying the glory of success. We always chase after and obey what we think is most glorious. So this, when you hear the Bible say lying ends in death, well, that sounds extreme, or lust ends in death, or stealing ends in death. Those don't sound like things that should lead to death. Well, listen, we are doing those things that because we are chasing after a glory, something. We're chasing after the glory of something that isn't eternal. And remember, we are end. We are we are left in the end. We are cha- we are left with whatever we think is most glorious and whatever we chase after as most glorious. So, if you're left with it and what you chased can't break through death, then you're enveloped. Not by glory, but by death. Every sin, every sin is chasing after a lesser glory. And that glory cannot break you through death. There's something much deeper behind every single sin. Every lie, every lust, every jealousy, every envy every time we're gossiping. What is behind those things is a golden calf that we are bowing to. And in the end, it will not help you break through death. Seek God. You give yourself over to him and over to his glory, and then, because he's the most glorious thing to you, then you want to obey him. You don't have to obey him to like, it's not like a, I gotta do this, it's like I want to do this, because look at his glory. It's what I'm chasing after, because we always obey what we think is most glorious. And um, I've been hearing a lot lately, uh, I'm not saying from you guys, but just in general, um, the church today is irrelevant. And I agree with that if church is not pointing to the glory of God. Because if we trace our logic correctly, then the greatest thing that we need is to see the glory of God. And what is the sole purpose of the church is to point people to the glory of God. So the church is the most relevant thing if the church is being what the church is supposed to be. 
But we got to, I mean, we got, look, just look at the way, oh, man, look at the way our culture treats the church today. Like, we have all of these things that we say are way more important than the church. Now, I'm not saying this because, like, I, yes, of course I want you to come here, but that's not why I'm saying this. I want you to say this because, see this because this is what God's word is telling us. That the main pop purpose of the church is to point people to the glory of God. And the greatest thing, the greatest good for you is to see the glory of God. And so the church is extremely relevant if it is doing what it's supposed to be doing. But you know what? We have like put the church way down on our list of importance. Way down. And I just got to ask, is it because we're chasing after lesser glories? And, and here's the thing. If the church is doing its job, the glory of God, what it does is it transforms you. It changes you. You become a better parent. You become a better friend. You become a better employee. You become a better boss. You become a better neighbor. So the church doesn't do that to you. God's glory does that to you. And the job of the church is to point you to God's glory. You say, well, can I experience God out on the boat? or out on the beach, or listening to a song. Of course you can experience the glory of God that way. And the church's job is to point you to the God that has created it all. And the church is important because here's what we always do over and over and over again. Your temptation, our greatest temptation, is always to enjoy these things, anything that God has created more than we enjoy God. And then look what we've done. We're back in the slums. We're, we're back at the mud pies, enjoying something that God has created versus enjoying the pleasures of the creator. Every sunset is there to point to him. Enjoy the sunset, but then enjoy him through the sunset. Every note that is sung is meant point you to the pleasure of knowing God. It's meant to point you to him. In the, in the mid-1600s, there was this group of uh, pastors, scholars, just people who knew the Bible really well. And they got together and they said, let's do something. Let's ask some questions about the Bible and then answer them. This is called the confession. So they took years to do this. And there was a confession and they asked all these questions and they answered them. And the first question that they wanted us to know the answer to is this. What is the chief end of man? In other words, what is our sole purpose? Here's their answer. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we, ah, yes, amen. But hmm, we hear that. And I think we aren't really excited about glorifying God. God. And the reason I think that is, is because we do not understand that his glory and our joy go together. We don't get very pumped about it because we don't understand his glory and our joy are meant to go together. To be to be enveloped in his glory is to then be enveloped in what gives you the most joy. And 
therefore you want to glorify him because then other people get to have the joy of knowing him and seeing his glory. They have joy in it all. So level five living. Okay, now let's rewind this. Okay, so we could say it like this. If we are not glorifying God, it's probably because we are not being enveloped by his glory and that is why we aren't experiencing great joy. Now, look, we keep going back to the slums. We keep going back to the mud pies. As soon as you get to the oceans of eternal bliss, you know what you want to do? You just want everybody to come there with you. That's glorifying him. Is, is your life a testimony that you are passionate about God's glory. Because I tell you, your life is going to be passionate about something being glorified. What is it? If you're passionate about God being glorified, it's because you have already been enveloped in his glory. So if you're a Christian, you should ask yourself this question. Am I passionate about God's glory? Like, I mean, are you really passionate about it? I hear that question, and I just kind of want to shrink down. Man, okay. If we aren't passionate about his glory, that might mean that we've never been enveloped in his glory. And if, we're not, if we've never been enveloped in his glory, then we might not have ever jumped on that train of faith. Or maybe we just keep getting off the train. We've jumped on the train and we keep getting off, on and off and on and off. Oh, how little joy we are experiencing in Christ compared to what is offered to us in him. And if you're skeptical of Christianity, I want to plead with you that you would not measure the quality of our Savior based on the quality of our faith. We ought, if we're enveloped in his glory, we ought to be joyful in him. And that does not mean that we need to trick people into thinking that we're joyful when we're not. That is dumb. Do not do that. Go to the glory of God. Oh, I'm so, t- I'm so tired of Christians like trying to force glory upon themselves and then force this fake glory on other people. Just go to the glory of God and you'll find joy in him. I mean, what would happen to us? Like if we just finally left the slums. Like I'm not saying all this like I've left the slums. Like I'm living in the slums all the time. I hate it, but I keep going back to the slums. Why do I keep doing that? Why don't I just go to the glory of God? I don't know if you guys are feeling this way, but I feel this way all the time. Why do I just ignore the glory of God and keep going back to the slums? Because I have a faith problem. That's why. If we left the slums, I mean, how would our parenting change? How would our friendships change? How would we be neighbors to people change? How would we be a boss or employees? How would our life change? God, to get out of the slums. God, give us faith to get out of the slums. And then, look, do you see this word? This word that says our. H-O-U-R. Yes, H-O-U-R. 
This is not about a period of time. This is not about a literal hour. This is pointing to an event, the hour of an event. And this is the event that ushers eternity into the temporary now. This is the event. This great cataclysmic event, do you know what it is? It is the event of the cross and the resurrection. At this event, eternity is ushered into our world. How? Here's how. Jesus also boarded a train. But this was not a train that led to the eternal bliss. It was a train that led to the waters of death. And he boarded that train and rode it to its end. And it, its end was spiritual torment. Why would he do that? Why would he do something like that? I'll tell you why. Because you were on that train. It was the train that was leading to the lesser glory that you've been chasing. So Jesus came, he boarded that train, and he rode it till its end, which is death. And then, you know what he did? He broke through death. And when he did that, he set the train in reverse and it started heading back to everything that you long for, everything that you want, this eternal ecstasy, this intoxicating bliss that you are made to go into. He turned the train around. He got on the train to come and get you, to turn you back. So turn to him. He will turn you back These lesser glories keep stealing us away from the greater glory. I just, I don't understand why we would just keep doing it. I don't understand why I keep doing it. Why do I keep chasing these lesser glories? Oh, we just need God to come and rescue us from them. And he does. So let's take the risk of faith more and more and more. Board that train and stick on it when our mood changes. for our good, all that he's done. All right, let's pray.